Good morning, Crawford. Uh, so good to see all of you this morning. Uh, my name is Jesse Holmes. I serve as the discipleship pastor here. And this morning I will be preaching from 1 John chapter 1. Uh, specifically, we'll look at verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. So if you're using one of the black Bibles in front of you, uh, you can find this on page 1021. So 1021, we're looking at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, As you turn to that, I would like to thank all of you that were praying for myself and the BCM mission team that went to Utah this past week. Uh, We greatly appreciate the prayers. We had an amazing time, and I did fall asleep a little bit on the plane, so that was good. And it was not intense rough air, so made it through, so praise the Lord for that. Uh, But we are grateful for the amazing week we had, just proclaiming the message of Jesus to those that do not know him. So again, we're looking at 1 John chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. Hear now the word of God. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, Father, in this moment we need you. Uh, We cannot understand your word on our own. And Father, you know I cannot preach your word without your help. So we ask that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will teach and speak to us this morning, that as we walk through the scripture, that we will understand, that we will apply, and that we will be prepared to explain to someone else. Use us now during this time to equip us to be about your work and your business as we prepare to leave. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, As we've been going through our mission statement as a church, this semester we've been focused on what it means to be a disciple. And as you can imagine, as a discipleship pastor, I'm very excited about our series about what it means to be a disciple. Uh, Pastor Burt has been walking through the Beatitudes with us in order to communicate the heart and the mind of a disciple according to Jesus. And last week, Don Pizzotto walked us through the marks of a disciple according to James. This morning, we're going to walk through 1 John, and our goal is to understand another aspect of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple of Jesus Christ declares the message of Jesus Christ. A disciple of Jesus Christ declares the message of Jesus Christ. It's a part of our DNA. It's a part of who we are. There is no such thing as a disciple that sits on the sidelines. There's no such thing as a disciple that eats in the Word of God over and over and over again and does not proclaim the Word of God. There's no such thing as a silent disciple. When Jesus initially calls his disciples in Matthew 4, 19, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said that in the process of following me, you will be equipped and you will be empowered and you will be enabled to do the same thing that I'm doing for someone else. Later in the Gospels, he sends the disciples out two by two. For what purpose? To prepare his way, to declare the truths of Jesus Christ as he made his way through the cities. Before he ascended into heaven, what did he do? He commanded his current and future disciples to be about the business of making disciples. And how do we do this? By teaching others to obey what Jesus had commanded. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, what does he say? You will be my witnesses. And if you know anything about witnesses, they have something to say. And so the fact is, A disciple of Jesus is expected to be about the business of declaring the message of Jesus 
at any time, anywhere, and to whomever comes their way. But the question that we want to answer this morning is, uh, what is the message that a disciple should be proclaiming? What is this message? And we really want to be on the same page about this because there are many out there in the world, as we will see in our text, that say that they are a disciple of Jesus, yet their message does not match up with the message of one that truly is a disciple of Jesus. In the context of our text, the Apostle John, who is the author of this letter, is protecting his readers from the lies and the deceptions of false teachers. Now, this is not a random thing that has happened in the New Testament. Over and over again, the New Testament authors are constantly trying to protect the people of God from false teachers. And this is true for us today. There are many who claim to be followers of Jesus, yet the things that they say and the things that they do do not align with the teachings of Christ Jesus. For John's audience, for his readers, the teachers were a type of Gnostics. It's a religious sect that believed two things, well, lots of things, but two things in particular that I want to point out, that the body was worthless and horrible and actually imprisoned a pure and righteous soul. And second, that they had the knowledge that would set them free. It's very interesting when you do studies on cults, they always have the right answers, and for some reason is always different than what the Bible says. And so John is writing this text right here in order to guard the believers, in order to protect them. And so what we're going to see as we walk through this text, that those two ideas from the Gnostics, John is going to speak against them as he proclaims the message. The message of a disciple is intended to preserve and to pass on the truth while at the same time proclaiming and reminding the one who is a disciple what it means to be a disciple. So what that means and what that indicates for everyone in this room that proclaims to be a disciple of Jesus, it is of utmost importance that we know and understand and believe the message that Christ Jesus has given to us. In the process of proclaiming this message, not only are we declaring the truth of God and passing on the truth of God, but hidden within the message is what it means to be a disciple. So our text this morning will be divided up into three sections, and then at the end I have a freebie point to give you. So we have three points and a freebie, uh, all answering the question, what is the message of a disciple? First, what we will see is that the message of a disciple is about God. The message of a disciple is about God. We can find this in verses 5 through 7. Specifically, and this is 1A, so point 1, the message of a disciple is about God. 1A is, it is about the character of God. The message of a disciple speaks on the character of God. Look at verse 5. This is the message we have heard and proclaimed to you. I'm going to stop you right there. So John is setting the reader up. He says, this is the message that we have heard, heard from Christ Jesus. He was a disciple who walked alongside Jesus. This is the message that we have heard, and we're now about to proclaim it to you. So he's setting up the reader to know what I am now about to say is of utmost importance. And this is what he says, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The message that John and the other disciples received from our Lord Jesus Christ begins with the character of God. The character of God, who God is. Why is that so? Because the character of God is the foundation and the basis on all that we believe as believers. Uh, He has not nor will ever do something that is outside of his character. The way he rules the world and the way that he uh, orchestrates our lives all stems out of who he is. Everything that we believe as believers is rooted in the character of God. So that means what we believe about God then shapes how we live our lives. Therefore, that means knowing who God is or theology and valuing theology is extremely important. Because you know what happens when we get God's character wrong, we start living according to that? We start a cult, or we end up in a cult. Because what happens is, what is a cult? It's a deviation from the truth. 
And so when we don't rightly understand who God is, when we do not prioritize theology, when we do not take in the character of God and dwell on that and allow that to govern our lives, we end up going astray and just doing some crazy stuff. And so what do we learn about the character of God? Well, John says this, God is light. And there are so many things that we can say about this, about light. Most people love the light um, because without it, you cannot see. And so I don't know if you like to walk around your house in the dark and trip over things, but normally we value light. You know, we pay the light bill, electricity bill, so that they can be light in our homes. So light is extremely important. But in the context of this passage, the fact that God is light implies some other things. It implies that God is pure and holy. When John says that God is light, he is saying that God is pure and holy. He is righteous and morally perfect. He is the epitome of what is right. And he is the epitome of moral perfection. He is truth. He himself is truth. And as a result, he exposes lies. This is who he is. So think for a second. Are there any uh, false religions or teachings that come to mind that oppose these truths about who God is? The Gnostic false teachers believe that they themselves contain the secrets and the true knowledge, which then meant that it wasn't God who was the source of truth. They were the source of truth. And there's so many false religions out there that say that their books have the word of truth or their teacher has a word of truth. And what they're saying is, yeah, God is awesome, but really you need to listen to me. Don't follow them. They're lying. They don't love the Lord. They're not following the Lord. You need to trust in the Lord because he is the one that is of truth. And what John does, which is very interesting, as he continues on to describe the fact that God is light, he then emphasizes who God is by adding in what and who he's not. He says this, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So in other words, no, no, no darkness, not at all, not one bit, not one tiny bit, none. That's how bright and how much light God is, that there's not even a speck of darkness found in him. And so that means that he is pure and holy, and thus there is no sin hiding in him. He is righteous and morally perfect, so that means he is not going to lead you astray. He is truth, and that means that there's no lies that reside in him, nor does he dwell amongst liars. This is who the Lord is. He is light, and he is good, and he is truth and righteous and perfect and pure. He is holy. Our issue in our day and age, and I would probably say even in their day and age, is that we have become lax on drawing a very clear distinction between someone that is a Christian or a disciple and one that is not. And the reason why I bring this up is because what we're going to see is that our fellowship with God or without God is directly connected to what we believe about God. And so the fact is, no matter how much we might not like to have very clear definitions, there is a very clear distinction between someone that is of the Lord and following the Lord and one that is not following the Lord, which then takes us to 1B. What does the message teach us about God? Well, it teaches us about fellowship with him. What does it mean to be in fellowship with him? Verse 6, if we say, I'm going to give some comments about that. So in other words, John is saying, if we confess or if we proclaim, and he is using this in what we believe is that he is alluding to the false teachers. So by, he, by him saying, if we say, he's saying, there are some people out there saying this. Let me tell you, they're wrong. If we say that we have fellowship with him, that him being God. Now this fellowship, he's not talking about hanging out and eating fried chicken. 
That's not the fellowship that he's talking about. He's not talking about being best friends and giving high fives. That's not the fellowship that he's talking about. The fellowship that he is talking about, according to John's teachings, consists of the fact of being partakers or having a common mindset as God in Christ Jesus. So to say that you are in fellowship with God, you're not just saying that he's your homeboy and you're hanging out with him once a week. You're saying that when you examine my heart and my mind and my actions, you're seeing some things in common with the heart and the actions of God. That is what true fellowship, according to this text, is talking about. So again, he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, next, while we walk in darkness— This idea of walking in darkness is, this is a life that is committed to error. It is a life that is habitually not paying attention to the word of the Lord. It is a life that is disregarding the things that are holy and righteous and above reproach. It is a life that does not care about what the word of God says, and they want to do whatever they want to do. That is a description of walking, living, practicing darkness. And so what about those people, John? Well, if they say that they have fellowship with God and yet they walk in darkness, they lie. (laughs) And they do not practice the truth. The reality is it is utterly impossible to have communion and to be connected with the one who is in light and yet passionately pursue the things of darkness, the things that are contrary to the Word of God. And no matter how many excuses or how, no matter how you paint the sin, if it is contrary to the Word of God, you are not practicing truth, and what John says is you're lying. John is not describing here in this text a believer that stumbles, right? We, we, all, we all struggle with sin. That's not what he's talking about. He is specifically talking about one who says, I love God. I, I'm passionate about his word. But every single inch of their being is all about them doing what they want to do. And we're going to talk about the nature of sin in a second. But the nature of sin says, this is my show and I get to run it how I want. Someone that lives a life in that way, they are not walking in the light. They are walking in darkness. And you can see a very clear connection to verse 5. If God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all, then it is impossible for one who is of the darkness to abide in him also. It's impossible. And so though we live in a world in a time where you seem like a meanie head for saying that someone is not living according to God's word, and man, it doesn't look like this person is a disciple of Jesus, it sounds mean and judgmental. But the Bible is just very clear. There is a firm and strong line between someone that is a disciple of Jesus and someone that is not. Now, a quick caveat, that does not mean that we go around pointing this out. You're a Christian, you're a Christian, nope, nope. You're a Christian, you're a Christian. That's not our job. That's not our job. But what John is doing is he is helping us to expose false teachers. So if you come up against a teacher that's telling you a lot of good things that seems good, but is contrary to the Word of God, they are false, and you do not listen to them. In the same way, it should be a warning to us. We are not to be lax when it comes to sin. We're not to just do whatever we want to do. We're not to ignore the word of God, but we're to be faithful followers. Next, what John does, he provides us with a positive alternative. He says this in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So if he, he's saying right here, if we commit to and live according to the truth in the same way that God does. So he's talking to those people that are walking in the light, living according to God's word. He says this, first, result of that, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with one another. Again, this fellowship is not hanging out in high fives, but we are on common ground. We have commonality. We're walking together. So to walk with God is to also walk with God's people. 
And so a result of walking in the light as he is in the light is that we will have community with believers. It's so interesting to run into people that say, yes, I'm a Christian. I love God. I just don't have time for church. You know, I kind of do church on my own. You don't understand what it means to be a believer. Uh, I'm sorry. I know that sounds mean, but you don't get it. If you think that your faith is isolated and is all about you, and so you can live out your faith isolated in home alone, you do not know what it means to be a disciple. If you so easily neglect the gathering together of believers, you do not know what it means to be a disciple. If you so easily come up with excuses to not experience community, to not pour into one another, to not receive uh, encouragement from one another, you do not know what it means to be a disciple. The first result of walking in the light as he is in the light is that we will have fellowship with one another. And I think, to take it a little bit further, we will yearn to be with one another. Like, as a candle that's in a room by itself, I'm sure the candle is so lonely, it's doing the best job it can to light up the little area, and I'm sure that candle would be so excited to meet a candelabra and and to meet all these other little candles, because no longer is that candle shining dimly by itself, but now it's that much brighter, because there are more candles around. And the reality is, oftentimes when we leave this place, We are a single candle in the midst of darkness, and it will wear you out. And so as we gather together, we're not just gathering to have fun and talk about good things, and we're gathering together to be bright. And I would encourage everyone that as you leave this place on Sunday, that you gather with believers on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and then look forward to the grand gathering on Sunday. Because as we shine together, we shine brightly. But the second result of walking in the light is simply this. And the blood, verse 7, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Very interesting. Now, why is is John bringing up this idea of being cleansed from sin? You might have been wondering, as we were talking about no darkness in the light, you might have thought, Well, Pastor Jesse, I sin sometimes. Does that mean that I'm not in the light with God? Ugh, I I sinned this morning. I'm going to sin later on today. Like, this is kind of awkward. You're talking about me being in the darkness. Well, this piece of the verse is speaking to you. Because what John is trying to encourage, this reality of, as we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that points out that we're not perfect. We're not going to walk perfectly every day, but because we are of the Lord and we have trusted in the Lord, if you have repented and believed in Christ Jesus, as you are walking in the light and you're tempted toward darkness and you stumble and you fall, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all sin. And so we don't doubt our salvation in those moments. We don't beat ourselves up. We don't allow guilt to consume us and to hold us down. We get up and we praise God for the cleansing, and we walk forward in obedience. This implies, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, this implies that the life of a believer is one of struggling against sin. The life of a believer is one that is struggling against sin. But there is hope for those of you who are struggling. The blood of Jesus will cleanse us from all sins. Sins that we are aware of and the ones that we are not aware of. So, uh, first point was simply this. That was all just the first point. The message of a disciple is about God. 1A, it is about his character. And 1B, it is about fellowship with him. That fellowship with him is dependent upon us walking in the light. Second, the message of a disciple is about sin. The message of a disciple is about sin. We don't hide from that word. We're not afraid of that word. We're not ashamed of that word. So John, tell us, what is it about sin? Well, first, to A, it is about our sin nature. John is speaking to us and saying that the message of a disciple talks about our sinful nature. He says this, 
If we say, once again, he's, this is based off some false teachers, if we say we have no sin, so what the false teachers are saying, that in them, in and of themselves, to their core, they're perfect. They got it going on. Like, there's nothing wrong with them. Everything is great. Like, deep inside, they just love the Lord and want to just do everything for the Lord. Their hearts are pure and perfect. They're wrong. Uh, Jesus would say that they were wrong. Jesus, in fact, said um, that out of our hearts comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual morality and theft and false witnesses and slander. The reality is, even for us who have been redeemed by Christ Jesus, there is still a sinful nature dwelling in us. And to deny that sinful nature is to deny a whole lot of theology. It's to deny, to call God a liar. What, what John says next, he says, uh, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The truth is not in us. You know, this is a direct attack on the Gnostics who said that they had the truth. Man, we got the truth. Come and listen to us. Oh, but about that sin, no, there's no sin in us. It's all good. It's all good. Our our bodies are the worst, but inside we're perfect. And John is saying, guess what, Gnostics? The truth is not in you. Guess what, false teachers? You are deceiving yourselves. There's just no way that you can have fellowship with the God of light and believe that no sin no longer resides in you because it is contrary to the word of God. Is contrary to everything that we see in Scripture. Romans chapter 7 is a beautiful text. Well, Paul himself describes and talks about the struggle and the battle and the tension of sin within. And all the commands of Paul, as he describes, to put off and to put on and to walk worthy according to the calling. He would not extend or give those commands if you in and of yourself were perfect and everything was fine. And so, John says that our message is about sin and is a message of a sinful nature. We, from since we were born, were born in sinfulness, a sinful nature to the core. To be, he says this as he continues on. Instead of denying sin, John says that we should actually confess sin. So what does he say? What does this message say about sin? It says that we have a sinful nature, and to be, it says, we are in need of forgiveness. We are in need of forgiveness because of this sin. He says this in verse 9, if we confess our sins, stop right there, and instead of uh, denying sin, And instead of just sin, he uses the word sins, indicating that there are some specific and there is some detailed confession confession that should be regularly a part of our lives. A regular part of our lives is specific and detailed confession to the Lord. Because the reality is, it's easy to say, God, forgive me of sin. All right, I'm good. I'm going to get up and walk away. It's different when we start calling ourselves out. God, forgive me of this thing that I said yesterday. Forgive me of this thought that I had today. Forgive me of these actions that uh, dishonor you. Forgive me of the things that you commanded me to do and I have not done. Forgive me of these specific things. And as we do this, what this does is it helps us to recognize and look sin in the face. If we just say, God, forgive me of sin in general, we don't have to look at it. We can just look away and say, God, forgive me of sin in general. But when we are specific and detailed, we're looking every single thing in the face. It forces us to recognize that what we're doing is not right, and it dishonors the Lord. And then it also helps us to recognize that we are in need of someone greater than us to help us in the midst of our brokenness. And so the whole purpose of confession of sin, it does a work in our own hearts, and it helps us to recognize who the Lord is and will thus help us to walk in a way that honors him. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. 
Stop right there. He is faithful and just. So John says that the one that we're confessing to is, first of all, faithful. So that means that we can rely on him. We can trust in him. That means that as we go to him, we don't need to be afraid. The one that we are confessing to is faithful. And second, he says that he's just. Now, this does not mean that he gives us a freebie. What just means is that he's actually inflexible to righteousness. That means that the one that we're going to to confess sin does not like sin. He's not going to just say, oh, you're all right today. Go ahead. Have fun. Oh, it's okay. It's not a big deal. No, no, no. Because he is just, he takes sin seriously. He, is, he will give people what is due to them. So how is that encouraging? That sounds very discouraging, right? That this faithful and just God, that he has the right to condemn us to hell when we go to him. Well, the good news is the blood of Jesus. And for those of us who have repented and have believed and have entrusted ourselves to Christ Jesus, it takes us back to what we learned earlier about the result of walking in the light. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The reality is, as believers, just as people, we have a tendency to run away when we sin, to run away and hide to come up with excuses to cover up, to not go to the Lord. But what John is reminding us is that in the midst of our sinfulness, as we deal with sin, we need to fight against the tendency to run away from the Lord, and we need to run to the Lord. Because as we run to the Lord, we will recognize the sin that is left in us, and we will confess that and bring it up to him, and we will cry out for help. When we do not do that, When we hide in the midst of darkness, it will only lead to more sin. Every single time, it will only lead to more sin. So may I suggest that you get over embarrassment and confess sin to the Lord? May I encourage you to get over yourself and stop thinking that you're perfect and confess your sin to the Lord? That the faithful and the just God might do this thing. He says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It will happen. It is a guarantee because he is faithful and just. So for those of us who have repented and believed in Christ Jesus, we don't have to be ashamed of sin and that we run and hide. But what the Lord wants us to do is to run to him that he might clean us up. He wants us to see that what we're doing is not right. He wants to expose the sin so that we will stop running back to the worthless things of this world. But he also wants to clean us up and to help us go our way. You know, a beautiful example of this is, you know, the story of Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. And what do we see in John chapter 21? Does Jesus rub his face in it? Does Jesus say, hey boy, you denied me. I'm upset. Peter, what's up, man? You were my disciple. You denied me. No, no. It's a perfect example of this idea of being forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. Because when you are cleansed, when you are cleaned up, you look good and you smell good and you're able to walk in the light again. And so what we see in John chapter 21, that is what Jesus is doing to Peter and that is what Jesus will do to us. If you stay in the darkness, you will still be stinky and gross looking. But if you run to the Lord, he will clean you up and help you to walk in a way that honors him. 2C, last thing. What does the message say about sin? It talks about our struggle with sin. 2C, our struggle with sin. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, Stop right there. Now, before he made the comment, if we say that we have no sin, and he was talking about the inward sinful nature, but now he's talking about the outward expression of sin. If we say we have not sinned, the only way that it's possible for someone to say that they have not sinned or committed a sin is if they have excused sin, if they are watering down sin, or if they are ignoring sin. It's the only way. 
And, man, we've all been there. I mean, I, let me just speak for myself. I've been there. You do something you have no business doing, and what helps you to get over the guilt? Well, that wasn't that bad. You know, God didn't really say or bring out this specific thing. He didn't word it this way, so it's all good. And what we do in those moments, we are lying to ourselves. Whether it's modifying what it means to bear false witness or to steal, or whether we modify what it means to have sex in the confines of marriage, whether we modify what it means to be angry, whether we modify what it means to extend mercy, anything that you modify that distorts what God says, it is a lie, and it's not of the Lord, and it is sin. And we live in a world that excuses sin all the time. And we see that it easily creeps into the homes of Christians. Because it's so much harder to confront sin, isn't it? It's really hard because then you have to do something. You have to change something about your life. But if you come up with an excuse or if you water it down, you can just keep doing what you're doing. It's A-OK. It's no problem at all. But God is calling us to do the hard thing. If you walk in the light and you believe that God is light, then you will do the hard thing. And doesn't that sound so familiar, this this whole idea of excusing sin? Oh, man, it's not that bad. You know, God didn't really say this thing. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Maybe Genesis chapter 3, the serpent of old, Satan, as he's having this conversation with Adam and Eve, what does he do? He distorts the truth of God and twisted it in such a way that what was sin did not appear to be sin and was desirous of the eyes. And the same thing happens to us each and every day. And so if we say that we have not sinned, we make him God to be a liar, John says, and his word is not in us. And that hurts so much. It hurts to think that every single time we come up with excuses, every single time we don't take sin seriously, every single time we ignore what Scripture says, what we are in essence doing is we're saying, God, you're a liar. You who are holy and righteous and just, you said that this is wrong, but I'm saying that it's right. And when we consciously give in to sin and do not confess it and yet excuse it, we are saying that God does not know what he is talking about. But on the flip side, can we just admit that we struggle with sin? Can we just admit that? Can we just be honest with ourselves that every single person in this room struggles with sin in some way? And so there's no reason to hide it. There's no reason to excuse it. There's no reason to wear a mask. There's no reason to pretend. But knowing that everybody in this room struggles with sin should help us not only confess to the Lord, but then also confess to one another. It should help us to be on our knees before the Lord, but then also look to one another for accountability. It should help us cry to the Lord, but then also be open for rebuke by one another. We must take sin seriously because it is an atrocity to the Lord. Why? Because he is light. And did you also catch to where uh, John says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Let's flip that around. Study the word. Memorize the word. Meditate on the word that sin might be exposed in your life and will lead you to confession. It's easy to hide from sin when you don't know what sin is. Um, But it's hard to hide from sin if you're reading this, if you're spending time in this, if you're meditating on this. I've said this several times. I don't know how people like read the word and they get up like super happy and joyous and like smiling all the time. You must be sticking to the awesome passages. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm reading through Scripture, I see myself in the children of Israel. I see myself in the annoying, frustrating disciples. I see myself in Peter. I see myself in Saul. And so as I see myself in these Scriptures, it leads me to confess and to repent. It makes me say, ouch, every day. 
So read the word. Allow the word to dwell in you, as Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says. Let it dwell in you richly so that it will bring you to your knees of confession to the Lord. And finally, the message of a disciple, point three, is about Jesus. The message of a disciple is about Jesus. It's about God, it's about sin, and it's about Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1, John says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Stop right there. Is John suggesting that it is possible to live in this world and never sin? By no means. That's not what John is saying at all. That would mean that he is directly contradicting what he just said before. So what is what's John's intentions? His intentions is to write in such a way that it prevents us from having a weak view of sin. That it prevents us from not taking sin seriously. That it prevents us from walking in darkness. That it prevents us from having a lax view of sinfulness. That's why he's writing these things to us. So that we might have a proper attitude and perspective towards sin. But if anyone does sin, as he says, continues on in verse 1, but if anyone does sin, so let me do a quick survey, um, congregation participation. Raise your hand if you sin. Beautiful. Yes, you're right. Yes, we, we all sin. Yeah, we all, yeah, we do, and we're going to later on. But what does John say about this? But if anyone does sin... If you are a human being in this room, the reality is this about Jesus, that we have an advocate. This is 3A. So the message tells us about Jesus. What does it say about Jesus? It says that we have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So an advocate, as an advocate, he is a mediator, he's an intercessor. He is pleading for our cause. He is coming to our defense. He is standing up for us. He is not pleading for our innocence. He's not pleading for our innocence. Make sure you get that. As an advocate, he's not saying... Lord, Jesse's good. He's perfect. Just excuse this. He's like, no, Jesse's, Jesse's bad. Like, he is very sinful. But your honor, Father, may I remind you that he has repented of his sin and he has trusted in my blood that cleanses him from sin every single day. And so though we lust and we're angry and we're disobedient and we lie and we steal and we cheat, a part of the process of, convic- of confession as we confess in the midst of our sin, I mean, we can have hope that we have an advocate that is speaking on our behalf, not because of anything that we have done, but solely because of what he has done. That's what we call a faith-based religion. It's not because of anything that we have done, but it is solely because of what Christ Jesus has done. So as he stands before the Father, speaking on our behalf, he is not making us look good. He is reminding the Father what he has done on the cross. He is reminding the Father of what uh, he has done through his Father. He is reminding him of the great work of Christ Jesus. This is why salvation comes by no other name but Christ Jesus. Because there is no one else that has the ability to stand before a holy God and declare someone righteous and just but Christ Jesus, who died on the cross and was raised back to life. And him dying and being raised is evidence of the power of God being placed on him. So he's our advocate. But not only that, 3B, Jesus is the propitiation he is the propitiation. First, verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. Huge word, propitiation. He is the atoning sacrifice. He atoned for our guilt. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. What is earned because of sin is death. But the gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
And so Jesus is the uh, substitutionary atonement for our sake. That the wrath of God was poured out on him so that all who believe and trust in him, this is what we call the great exchange, uh, our sin is placed on him and his righteousness is imputed or placed on us. That is the power of the gospel. It's the power of Christ Jesus on the cross. And so as a propitiation for our sins, and we can just look to him. We rely on his work. We trust in him to set us free. And lastly, and not only for ours, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. All right, John, are you saying that uh, everybody's automatically saved? By no means. That's not what he is saying at all. That would contradict everything that he has said before and some things that he's going to say later on in the letter when he talks about Antichrist. But what he is simply proclaiming is that God is not done yet. The work, the, the fulfillment of Christ's sacrifice on the cross is not done yet. We're not it. We are not the only ones that are saved, which there are some cults that would like, to, like you to believe. There's a certain number of people that are saved and nobody else. But the work of Christ Jesus on the cross is not limited to a specific race or ethnicity, but his work on the cross has made it possible so that anyone that believes and calls on his name might be saved. Uh, Romans 10, 13. And so the reality is, man, the great work of Christ Jesus uh, is made available for those who believe. And tucked in there, like tucked in there, that means that as a disciple, we proclaim because Jesus wants us to proclaim his goodness, that he might use our feeble words and our feeble attempts to draw men unto himself, to trust and believe in the work of Christ Jesus on the cross. So, what is the message of a disciple? The message of a disciple is about God, it's about sin, it's about Jesus. And I told you I had a freebie. Uh, the message of a disciple is the gospel. It is the gospel. The message of a disciple is the gospel. As John is laying out, talking about God and talking about sin and talking about Jesus, he is talking about the message of the gospel. The simple fact that in the beginning, God, who was perfect and holy and righteous, he created, and out of his love, he created all things, including man, to glorify him and to have a relationship with him. And unfortunately, because of the disobedience of two, sin entered into the world and broke that relationship. So no longer could a holy God have fellowship with man because man was sinful, and throughout the entire uh, history and history according to the Old Testament, what we see is that God is reminding people over and over again, I am holy and you are sinful. I am holy and you are sinful. I am holy and you are sinful. From the laws and from the commands and from all the stories that we see with the children of Israel. And tucked in there is this beautiful thread, I am holy and you are sinful and I will save you. I'm holy, and you are sinful, and I will save you. And God, uh, through time and history, is pointing to one who will come and save. The one who is both God and man. The one who is the perfect sacrifice and the unblemished lamb. And so Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of a virgin, 100% God and 100% man, makes his way on the scene and he begins to declare the truth of God. Who God is and what it means to love God and worship him. But that was not his only job. Because God is holy and man is sinful. And the only way that there can be a relationship between a holy God and a sinful man is through a perfect sacrifice. And so he who is both just and justifier sends his son to the cross that his life might be taken. Because the wages of sin is death. And so on Christ Jesus, the wrath of God was poured out on him. And he died. But he did not stay dead. Because the power of God was at work in him and brought Jesus back to life. So that all who will look on to Jesus and repent of their sin and trust in him, they will follow his very acts 
according to Romans chapter 6, they will be buried. Their sin will be killed. Their, their, them being overcome by sin and controlled by sin will be put to death. And they'll be raised to walk in newness of life and model of Christ Jesus. And they will live a life that's not perfect. They'll live a life of asking for forgiveness and forgiving. They'll live a life of confession and accountability. But they'll live a life in the light. And they will proclaim the truths of God. And they will proclaim what God has done in them and through them and for his glory. And in the end, after everything is said and done, all those that have repented and believe will rest with him forever. The message of a disciple is the gospel. And so my encouragement for all of us, including myself in here, may may we not take advantage of what the Lord has given us here at Crawford. May we not just come and listen and sing and pray and study and memorize for our own sake. But will we see our time together as a time to be equipped and trained and encouraged Because we all in this room have a message to declare. That's what it means to be a disciple. Let's pray. Father, it's just so humbling to recount the message of the gospel. And just to remember that there was a time when we were dead in sin, because of sin. We were dead in the ways that we were walking, in the ways that we were living, in the ways that we were thinking, in the ways that we were interacting, we were dead because of sin. But you, by your grace and kindness and your mercy, you saved us. You saved us through your son's sacrifice on the cross. And Father, we thank you. Lord, will you help us to walk in obedience? Will you help us to make this message known to our friends, to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family members? Will you not allow this message to be a bedtime story, but may it be an encouragement to walk in obedience every single day. May you be honored and glorified, King Jesus, and the things that we say.